Good to see you this morning. It's good to be here. It's great to worship God, great to worship together as God's people in this place. And so we're going to be, I'm going to be picking up this morning the, the next in our series anointed out of <clears throat> Isaiah 61. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah 61 verse 4 today. And uh, the title is Rebuilding Cities. You'll understand what that means um, as I go through this. We're not going to be talking particularly about cities, but we're going to be talking about the church. And so we're going to uh, read the verse uh, together, just uh, one verse, and it will come up behind me. This is what it says. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruins cities, the devastations of many generations. It's talking about uh, a promise that Jesus ultimately would come and renew things that have been ruined. It's the gospel. It's what we were hearing about this morning, about restoration. So, when we uh, took this building, we bought this building back in the late 90s, um, you'll see some images of a, a little what it looked like. So I, some of you won't, uh, won't have been around in those days. Some of you will remember those days acutely. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, we were here at the NBC, uh, Pam was uh, recently approached by someone who was researching, uh, doing a, a project, doing some study of bingo halls and cinemas that had been converted to churches. And there are many, many examples of that across the country. At the same time, we were approached by church leaders uh, in Southampton who were wanting to look at what we've done here as uh, they have themselves bought an old cinema and are planning to restore it to use for a church. Why on earth is that relevant to what we're going to be talking about this morning? Well, if we want to restore something that's been run down and is no longer fit for purpose, looking back at what others have done in the past will teach us lessons that we can apply today. And this is what we're going to do as we unpack Isaiah 61 verse 4 together. You see, Isaiah was God's spokesperson to a nation that was in turmoil. Israel was living in the land that God had promised them. They were his people. He'd brought them out of Egypt. He'd brought them through the sea and the desert into the promised land. The nation had been formed. Cities had been built. A temple to worship God has been established in Jerusalem. Yet despite who God was and all that he had done for them, his people's hearts remained wayward. It's what the Bible calls sin. They were God's people in name, but not in action. Disunity and infighting were rife. And eventually, the nation split into two. Split into the northern kingdom that was called Israel 
and a southern kingdom that was called Judah. And yet God in his mercy all through this season was calling both of them back to him through prophets just like Isaiah. And in the end, his patience wore out and he gave them over to the consequences of their action. Israel went into exile in Assyria and Judah went into exile in Babylon. The land was devastated. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem's walls were turned down and the city burned. We live in days when the church is in ruins. Truths and biblical values that define the church have been abandoned in many places. To a world watching on, it's not clear what we stand for. Swathes of God's people are in chains They're in chains to worldliness. Disunity amongst God's people is rife everywhere. Leaders are being stepped out of ministry due to sin, losing their way, and a recent uh, load of leaders are being stepped down because of bullying behavior. It's leaving church communities disappointed, angry, struggling, and rudderless. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, at the beginning, he talks, tells a story about a woman who's in an absolute mess. Her life is in ruins. Her life is, uh, uh, been traumatized by so many bad things that have happened. And he says to her this, he, he says, at last I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. The walls are down and they need repairing. And Isaiah 61 verse 4 promises the rebuilding of what has been ruined. The Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell us how that started to happen. And yet prophecy has often more than one fulfillment. And Isaiah 61, as we've been seeing in recent weeks, promises the coming of one who will restore or make new what's been ruined. This is Jesus. And he calls us his church, to carry on the work that he started. And that's why he gives us his spirit to help us complete the commission that he started. Today, we're going to look at Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, broken down by a pagan king. And as we do that, we're going to see principles that will help us rebuild the walls of the church of the King of Kings. We're going to look at three aspects this morning. And the first is that we need to see a right response to the ruins. In Nehemiah verses 1 to 4, we read this. 
The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Chislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hananiah, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. God's people in disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. A right response to the ruins. Nehemiah grieved over the news about the state of, Jerus uh, of Jerusalem. Hundreds of years later, Jesus himself grieved over Jerusalem, we read in Matthew 23. And Jesus only ever did what he saw his father doing. God's heart, you see, towards his people is still one of mercy and compassion. God loves us. We heard that this morning. God loves us. God loves his people. Do we care that the walls have come down in our community, in our country? Do we care that Christian values that we once held dear have been tossed aside, biblical truths abandoned? Do we care that our homes, our streets, our communities and workplaces are being destroyed by godless ideologies? Walls need rebuilding. Terry Virgo, in his book, The Tide is Turning, this is a paraphrase of what he says so that it's relevant to us. So what if we gather four to five hundred people Sunday by Sunday? What is this in a city of 40,000 people? Until we have wept over the ruins, we will never build the wall. I love the church. 30 or so years ago, 35 years ago nearly now, I came from South Wales, confused about church, and I came and became part of a small church community in Hedge End. I tell you, I fell in love with God's church, with his passion for his people. I haven't lost that. I am still as passionate today about God's church as I ever was. I still believe, as someone quote said, the church is the hope of this world. Jesus Christ is the ultimate hope, but it's through the church Jesus chooses to work. I'm sad when I hear people say that they love Jesus and love community, love the community around them, but have no time for the church. Maybe they have good reason. Maybe they've been hurt and damaged by stuff that's gone on in the name of church. But can I suggest, gently suggest, that that cannot be right. The church is the community of the people of God. He loves us. 
God intended for his Old Testament people to be a a light to the Gentiles, we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. And the same is true in the New Testament. We are to be a light to the nations around. We are to be a city on a hill, a light on a stand that all would see the glory of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, that God has entrusted his glory to us as his people. Listen to what he says. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's the words of Almighty God. Jesus' commitment to his church is unwavering. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The church is not a building. Much as we appreciate this building that God has miraculously given us, it is just a building. The church is the people of God. It's not a club. It's a community of people who have put their trust in Jesus, who have encountered the grace and mercy of God and who love him with all their hearts. We are God's people saved by grace, called to live out our faith together in a world that's burning. Nehemiah's response was to pray. He prays this, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Nehemiah pleaded before God for his people, for his church. He pled before God on the basis of the promises of all that God had said. Do we plead for the church based on the promises of God? Are our prayers just focused on ourselves and our needs? Do we pray for the broken and the hurting, for those going through difficult times, for those experiencing illness, for those needing breakthrough? Do we cry out for the glory of God to be seen amongst his people, that all would see that there is a God in heaven who loves us and loves them? In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we read the embryonic church, just 120 of them. It says they gathered together. They were all continually united in prayer. Continually united in prayer. Jesus says, from the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. If our hearts were moved we would pray more. Michael Reeves in his book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life, says our prayerlessness is practical atheism. He's basically saying, if we believe God, if we love God with all our hearts, we would pray. And the fact that we don't pray is practical atheism. It's as though we don't believe him. Nehemiah's prayer was followed with faithful action. In chapter 2, verse 5 of Nehemiah, he says, Send me so I can rebuild it. Are you committed to building the church? Is that your passion? The second thing we see is Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. 
Nehemiah inspected the walls, we're told in chapter 2, verse 13. Despite the devastation, he saw that the ancient foundation was solid. The application is obvious. The wall may have been rebuilt, need rebuilding in places, but the foundation was solid. The old hymn, there's an old hymn that puts it so well. The church's true foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says there is only one foundation for the believer, and that is Christ. At Hope Church, that's why we make much of Jesus. Everything we do must be based on Jesus Christ, who he is and all he has done for us. It is only as we do this can we hope to build walls well. Only those joined together in Christ are God's household. And so that's why faith in Jesus is so crucial. That's why we urge you to put your faith in Christ. If you are here today and you have never done that, I urge you again, put your trust in Jesus to save you and rescue you. This world may be burning, but there is a Savior, and God has sent His Son to rescue you. That's why we call people to repentance. Stop living for themselves, but to live for Him, because it's worth it, and He's worth it. That's why we call people to baptism, to be baptized, as a sign that they are followers of Jesus. That's why we encourage people all the time to be filled with the Spirit because we need His Spirit to help us. We can't do it on our own. You see, we need to be people, if we're going to build well, we need to be people committed to what Jesus says. What Jesus says must shape us. Not the circumstances, not our culture around us. Our country is on fire and godly values are being dismantled. And the solution isn't in education, social justice, or an environmental agenda. However good those things may be, the answer is to build on Jesus Christ and Him alone. Only in Him can we have life and life to the full. Only in Him do we find our identity, our sense of value, our self-worth. How best to live in these days. Jesus sets us free to be all that God has called us to be and created us to be. I was talking to, Annie and I were talking to someone the other day. Someone who was sitting on the balcony. And they just, as they heard truth being declared about what God says, in that moment, God set them free. And they gave their life to Christ. What walls need rebuilding in our lives? Nehemiah challenges God's people. He says, come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that there will no longer be a disgrace. We should be passionate about the church being a light, a shining bright light in this city. Everyone had a part to play in Nehemiah's day and their response was wholehearted. Let's start rebuilding in uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to it. So I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. 
Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so we'll no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king said to me. They said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. Everyone got involved, working side by side, working on the bit of the wall that was in front of them. Some bits required rebuilding, others repairing. Yet all they built tied in with what others were doing either side of them. The wall was the same height, it was the same depth, same materials were being used. What's our bit of the wall? What's your bit of the wall that God's, it's in front of you that God's calling you to work on? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's the small group, the community group that you're part of. Maybe it's working among the young people, amongst the children. Maybe it's being part of a welcome team. Some of our focus is going to be on Sundays, what we do as we gather together. But most of it is going to be on the rest of our week. Neither is more important. In everything we do, we come as we are. But when we come to Christ, we never stay as we are because he changes us. He transforms us from one degree of glory to another. He is constantly working on us. Is he working on you at the moment? Because he needs to be. You need changing from one degree of glory to another. I know I do. And building well takes humility and obedience on our part. You see, there's still work to be done. There wasn't even a partial fulfillment in Isaiah, of, of, of what Isaiah said in uh, chapter 61, verse 4. Only, there wasn't even a partial fulfillment in Nehemiah's day. You see, only a few people came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. The rest chose the luxuries of Babylon. The same is true today. Few are passionate about rebuilding the church, building the church. It's why we press on doing what we're called to do. Isaiah 58 verse 12 says this, some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Some of you. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be record repairer of broken walls the restorer of streets where people live. Is that your name? Are you repair, a repairer of streets where people live? We're to be those who rebuild the walls. Finally, we see Nehemiah repopulating the city. Every city is to be cities, are places where people gather in safety and community, a community of shared values. That's what cities are. Cities require people. It's obvious. Cities require people. Having ensured that the walls are rebuilt, we see in uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, this is what it says. The city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and no houses had yet been built. They'd built the walls, they'd Defined the city, but there's no one living there. 
And Nehemiah's focus now is inviting in new people. Jesus calls his church a city on a hill. A light on a stand. He calls us to be those calling others in. Not to a building, but into a community of God's people. Where they encounter the love and grace of God. In Acts chapter 15, the early church were debating how to reach out to people with the good news about Jesus. They were debating all sorts of things of the place of circumcision, which had been such a big thing amongst the Jewish Christians. But they came to the conclusion, having listened to Paul and Barnabas, that actually that wasn't so important. And so they, in their conclusion, they referenced the prophet Amos, and they talk about, in, in Acts 15, about the ruins of God's house being rebuilt so that all those outside may have the opportunity to come in. That they might have the opportunity to hear the gospel and encounter the grace of God. You see, it's not enough to hear the gospel. You need to encounter it. It needs to impact you Deep down in your inner being, you need to know that God loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. And it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. And you just need to receive the free gift of life that he gives. You see, the more people in God's church, in God's family, the more he is glorified. It says in Proverbs chapter 14, 28, In a multitude of people is a king's glory. Does not the King of kings and the Lord of lords deserve all the glory? A multitude of people. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we're told that the gates are important. And as they build the wall, they build in, they rebuild ten gates. And these gates have a multitude of names. The sheep gate, the water gate. All the gates had doors with bars on them, bolts on them. They were built into the city wall. You see, without walls, anybody could come in and go as they liked. There was no security, there was no culture, there was no community. The church is not to be like that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate, the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10 that he is the gate or the door. He says that it's only through him do we come to the Father. You can only come to God in heaven through Jesus. There is no other way under heaven and earth where men and women might be saved. There's no way to know God without putting your personal trust in Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're amongst us, I want to tell you there are, there's a gate in this wall, in this wall that leads you into relationship with a Father in heaven. And if you've never done it, you are welcome to walk through that door. You don't need to buy your way in. You don't need to do anything. You simply walk through humbly and say, Jesus, I give you my life. 
As a church, over many years, we've been building, creating numerous gateways into church life. We've been doing it through uh, works that we've been involved in, things like the ark, our work with parents and toddlers, the cradle, All Nations Cafe, Hope Street Cafe, working with those uh, living on the streets or living uh, in difficult situations where uh, they don't have homes. We've been doing it through our Christians Against Poverty Debt Advice Center. We've been doing it through after-school lunch clubs. And the purpose of all of them is to draw people towards God and to give them a positive encounter with church community. And we hope that many, many have had that. Our great hope and dream is that they come to a place where they enter through the narrow gate into life in all its fullness. Maybe you're here this morning and you're already working at one of these gateways. Maybe you're just coming on Sundays. Maybe you could help at one of our gateways. Maybe there's a gateway, a new gateway for you to help build that will connect with people outside but will give an in, a, a look into what the church is all about. It's time for us to partner together with Jesus as he builds his church. It's time to be committed to investing into the community of God's people with our time, energy, and our resources. It's why we encourage people here in Hope Church to come and join with us to help build the walls of the church. It's why we run a membership. How else would we know who was committed to working alongside us? And how else would you know the values that this church holds dear? Maybe this morning you've been coming along for a while and maybe this is a challenge to you to put your roots down and connect with us in a deeper way. And if that's you, why don't you at the end go and talk to someone at the connect point and just say, I want to talk to someone about membership. We A number of you have recently been coming into membership in the church, and it's great to have you part of the family with us. You're welcome to come any Sunday and sit amongst us. But we really want to be working together, working at the bit of the wall that God's put in front of us. Terry Virgo, in his book, The Tide is Turning, says this, The world regards the church as irrelevant to modern living. We need to hear this news. The walls are down and the world can see it. The gates are not there. Anybody can walk in and say anything. And this is where the story begins. When people, young men and women, older people hear this news in such a way that it triggers something off within them and they cry, enough, we cannot stand this any longer. Has this happened to you yet? Has the church become the chief motivation in your life? You may be a school teacher, a nurse, or a banker, but can you truly say that the kingdom of God comes first? Everything else is to take second place. 
going to ask the band to come and join me on stage. In a moment, we're going to just consecrate ourselves as we worship him. It's his church. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. It's all about him. But maybe this morning, there's a, there's a moment that you want to respond to him. I'm going to invite us all to stand. And I'm just going to pray as, before we sing. Maybe you have just lost confidence in church. Maybe you've come from other churches and been wounded and damaged. Maybe you've seen stuff done in the name of church which has not been good. Maybe you've never really understood what's the importance of being part of a church. Maybe this morning, if you fall into one of those categories, maybe if you just lost your way and your love for church, you know this morning that God's speaking to you about his passion for his church and you want your passion for the church to be reignited. I want to pray for you. Just reach out your hands in front of you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love your church. Thank you that you love your people so much that you came across the cosmos, leaving everything, the glory behind that was yours behind. And you became a man born in a, a stable, a dirty, grubby stable. With, other, with animals around. The king of glory, laying down his glory, that you would become a man like us, that you would show what the father is like, that there's a father in heaven who loves us. That you would go to a cross and die for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might be set free. You rose from the dead, Lord Jesus, that we might be reconciled to a Father. Lord Jesus, I pray for these people this morning. May they, may they in their hearts, Holy Spirit, may the passion, your passion, living God, for your church ignite within them. May the passion for the people of God rise up. I pray, Father, that we would be a people wholehearted, wholeheartedly committed to seeing the church built in these days. For your glory and your honour, 